Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. This morning, scripture reading is going to be from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And Jesus is in the middle of trying to tell his disciples about the kingdom of heaven and the coming of the kingdom of heaven. So here's God, hear, hear God's words. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. One he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his abilities. Then he went on his journey. The man who, he, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So then when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you guys. If you guys have been following along with us in this series, we're in a series called Weak and Strong, which is a series that a friend, Scott Erickson, and I have been uh, working on and creating together. Uh, I'm not sure about you guys, but I have been loving Scott's participation in this. Have you guys too? It's been really, really, really awesome. Uh, for me, part of it is seeing uh, how art can be honored in the church setting and how, for me, a, a visual aspect to our faith has actually been really, really, really meaningful. And I've wanted to continue that, but I also didn't want to pester Scott with making more illustrations. And so I thought to myself, well, wh- why would I outsource it? Why not I take a stab at making an illustration? So reading the parable, this is what I saw. Um, so. <laughs> You guys notice the contrast, the use of dark and light, right? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? We have, uh, yeah, he looks super sad. And yeah, so you can just take that in a posture of prayer to the Lord and see what comes out. In this series, we've been focusing a lot on vulnerability. As I've looked over these last messages, I find it really interesting that um, we've been focusing a whole lot on what does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to live with weakness? And in reflecting upon that, one of the things that I've thought through is 
In this cultural moment that we're in, I find it interesting that we are more comfortable talking about vulnerability than we are with talking about power. It's an interesting thing to me. I think it's in part because we need to have a conversation around power, especially in the church. This is an important conversation because as of late, there seems to be a lot of wrestling with what does it mean to live with power and live it in a Christian type of way. Sadly, we have so many stories of the misuse of power within the church. And I think a lot of times because of that, we're kind of stepping back because we've seen that, we've experienced that, we have stories of churches and leaders who use a certain type of power to coerce, to exploit, to control people. I actually have had conversations this week with several of you saying that you are cautiously stepping back into church, cautiously because you've been in experiences where there is spiritual abuse. And spiritual abuse only is fostered when there is a certain type of power at play in a religious setting. Just to be clear, if you were to read through all of the Gospels, I dare you to find one one single moment where Jesus used power to coerce, to dominate, to exploit others, especially the vulnerable. That type of power is modeled and found more in this world, but it's not found in Jesus, who had all power and all authority, and yet he made himself nothing and actually made himself into the form of a servant. And from the posture of a servant, he displayed a different kind of power. And like we talked about last week, and then Jesus looked at us and said, here's the pattern that you are defined. Here is what my kind of power looks like. We need to talk more about power because I think we need to find a different kind of power. So if you were here a couple, three weeks ago, we talked about this grid right here, which I find super helpful in this dialogue that we've been having around weakness and strength. So this grid is helpful because we can find ourselves somewhere on this grid. All of us are somewhere on this grid between living with power and feeling powerlessness, being highly vulnerable and less vulnerable. We had these working definitions to help us as we, as we need to unpack and re. Uh, reconstruct a, a different identity of power. So power is the capacity to create meaningful change. It's when we are living in such a way where we are agents of change in this world. And vulnerability is the capacity to be wounded. It means being in a place where you can be wounded. And the reality is, is all of us are somewhere along this grid. Everyone in humanity is somewhere along this grid of being powerful and powerless being less vulnerable and highly vulnerable. You could find those with power without vulnerability. That's kind of our idea of worldly success, of dominance, of privilege. The conversations we've been having around privilege in our culture is around being incredibly powerful, yet you can hide out. You're not woundable. Around uh, the bottom left is being powerless, but not really trying, uh, not being woundable. That's like this idea that like you don't, have to do much, and you're also not that woundable. You're kind of protected in that. The bottom right is where people are highly vulnerable, and they do not have uh, the the ability to create meaningful change. Obviously, it's because of oppression, systems of poverty and slavery, where that sense of dignity has been stripped from people. And the premise of this series is that when you wed power, a different kind of power, with vulnerability, 
you experience flourishing through a humble power, through connection, through courage. As followers of Jesus, I think we need to pattern our lives in the same manner, to be people who are willing to be vulnerable, to be woundable in this world, yet also believe that God can use them to be agents of change. It's my suspicion that for you, people in this community, you have a more complicated relationship with power than with weakness. The reason why I say that is because I believe that you are some of the most humble, beautiful people I've ever met. There's not one ounce of uh, dominance, of, uh, of pompous judgment. You're not given to pride. But there's a certain type of humility that undercuts our belief that God can use us, that God can use people like us to make a difference in this world. And if you believe in that false sense of humility, that who am I, then you will find yourself living in such a way that you will never find that place of humble power, of connection, and of courage. But the reality is, it's actually people who embrace vulnerability that God wants to use to change the world. And I'm using those kind of big terms because I really want you to think that, that God can use people like you to change the world. Speaking of the world, who wanted to travel to Ireland? Was that anyone's dream vacation? Anyone? Nope. Yeah, it's awful. You should never go. Just kidding. 15 years ago, a friend of mine named Luke, who's a part of this church, we had this idea of like, this was before kids when you could be spontaneous and like just uproot your life. We thought to ourselves, what if we just went and spent a week in Ireland? So guys, we actually did it. We did everything touristy that you would do. We toured the the Guinness uh, Museum. We went to the Cliffs of Moher together. And guys, this picture isn't because, like, there was bad Wi-Fi. That was as, like, the best quality picture you could have back then, 15 years ago. We rented a car and drove on the wrong side of the street the whole way. We went to larger cities. We toured everywhere we went to. And then after a while, towards the end of our, our trip there, we thought to ourselves, I feel like we've been gone to tourist trap to tourist trap. Let's go, like, completely off the beaten path. So we were driving on the way to Dublin. And we thought, let's just find a random highway, turn on it without knowing where we're going, and just go as far as we can and see what happens. So that's exactly what I did. And now imagine foreigners like coming to Texas, and, it, and they could go to Dallas or San Antonio or Austin, but instead they're like, let's go to Llano, right? <laughs> Have y'all been to Snook? Lubbock is beautiful. We should try that. No one is thinking that, but that's exactly what we did. We drove to this small little village, and we were like, this is perfect. We rolled down the window. We met some people. We were like, where's the hotel? And there's like, there is no hotel. What are you doing here? And they said, well, we actually heard of one person can like one person sometimes puts people up in their home. So we're like, okay, well, give us the number. We just showed up at our home. We knocked on the door. They kicked the kids out of their bedroom. And Luke and I stayed there that night, like legit kids' bedroom, like toys, small bed, scratchy sheets. Like it was awful. And so we walked around this village and we went to the one pizza place and we went to the one pub and we got into this pub and it was like super dark. And there is like, it was around 15 men scattered around this pub. Some were watching soccer, 
football. And some were, you know, talking in the corner, and then there's always a couple sad drunks just by themselves at the bar. And so Luke and I, were, we sat down, and we started visiting, and slowly they were like, who are you? Why are you here? And then around an hour later, like this moment totally shifted where all 15 of us were like huddled up. We were like having this incredible discussion. We were laughing. We were telling stories. And then out of nowhere, one of them like got really close and said, will you sing us a song? (laughs) And we were like, what? And they said, sing us a song from your home. And Luke looks at me and like elbows me because I'm the one that always does dumb things in the relationship. You know, usually in friendships, there's the one that does dumb things. That's me in the relationship. And I look at Luke and he's like, sing a song, Mark. And I was like, I can't think of any songs. Like I had this total moment where I was like, we had been listening to you too, driving around Ireland. I was like, that's the last thing they want to hear me sing. Like how annoying would that be of like, you know, singing as some U2 song. And so I was like, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I don't want to sing. They were like leaning in a little closer, like, no, sing us a song from your home. And I just, like in this rare moment, I was like, I got nothing. I'm, I'm sorry. And guys, like it evaporated. Like that fun moment where you feel like you're like in the middle of something slowly guys went back to their stools in their corner, and Luke and I are just looking at our frothy Guinness going, what just happened? The next night, we drive to Dublin, and we decide to go on a traditional Irish music tour. So we went from pub to pub with musicians leading the way, and they would teach us about Irish tradition and play music for us as we went. It was so much fun. The last uh, spot we went to They said, we've told you so many traditions in the Irish culture, but there's one that's the most important. The greatest honor someone in our culture can give you is to ask you to sing a song from your home. And if ever someone asks you to do it, you have to do it. Because it's the greatest honor to do it, and it is the greatest form of disrespect to say no. So Luke and I just kind of looked at ourselves, like, just like, oh, my God, we did this in the wrong order. (laughs) I have often wondered what would have happened that night if I wasn't given to to fear. I wondered if, like, what if I, like, grabbed the courage and belted out whatever song that made me think of my home. But instead, I played it safe. Like, I kind of, like, just hid out, and the story moved on without Luke and me. The reality is the gospel are full of stories of people who chose to participate with all courage because they had this ability to take a risk. They actually took a risk and they were grafted into the story of what Jesus was doing in this world. And I wonder how many people never made the gospel stories because like me, they decided to stare at their beer and let the night go on. But we have fishermen leaving their boats and following Jesus. We have a woman interrupting a dinner party to anoint Jesus' feet with this beautiful oil, this fragrance. We have friends tearing apart the roof of someone else just because they had to lower their other friend who was in pain before Jesus. And all of a sudden, in the midst of their risk and their courage, Jesus' power broke out and they were grafted into the story of how Jesus was changing the world. 
Jesus never told his followers where he was going, what the plan was. He never had a binder to say, this is what we're going to do. Do you want to join? you want to be a part of this? There was no pitch. Instead, Jesus simply invited people, leave your nets, leave your sin, leave your comforts, leave your life, and follow me. The story of the gospel is the story of participation. And to participate in the kingdom of God, it requires great courage. And that remains the same for you and me today. To participate in the kingdom of God today requires great courage. Why can I say that? Well, Jesus was asked about what the kingdom of God really was like. And remember, he told us this story. He told us this story right here. You remember that story? That's right. Liza, since you laughed at it, you, I'm going to give you the copy of it. You get, I will sign it later. Here you go. Frame it, please. This is the one and the only. But we see here in this story, uh, we find uh, this story. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And as it goes with these stories, these parables are actually, it's really, just take a step back from here. When we read our parables, these are not allegories. I think people get themselves into trouble when they read parables that Jesus say, and they think, oh, so this is what God's like. God is like this angry master who owns slaves, and he's really money-grabby, and, and we're like these slaves who we have to be, you know, like be afraid or something like that. That's not, what, that's not the best way to read parables. Instead, when we read parables, we should consider what's the one lesson this parable is trying to teach us? And so we have in this story, a servant gives five bags and one two, and one just gets one bag. And then the owner leaves town with some unspoken expectations. You better do something with what I've given you. Now, we could look at the story and see the inequality and get annoyed with it, right? But uh, what we find here, if indeed the master was harsh, having the most money would have been the most daunting. Like, he's the one that actually is... Is, is, is on the rope the most. So the one with five invest five bags of gold, and anyone who knows about investments knows that there's something that just comes with any investment. It's a four-lettered word. Any, anyone know it? Risk. That's right, risk. And risk reveals vulnerability. Risk requires a certain sense of power, a capacity to create change. It's this blending of power and vulnerability, power and weakness. So the one with the most of the owner's money risks it. He gambles. He released what was given to him, and he put it on the market. He put it in the world. He put it on the stock exchange, whatever it might be. And so does the one with two bags. Awesome, but not the third. I mean, just look how sad he is. And what does he do? He buries it. He hides it. And the master returns, and guess what happened with those who invested? They doubled their investment. This is better than the, the, uh, the housing market in Austin. Like in that short amount of time, it is doubled. And we see that the one with only one bag, uh, he hid it. And so when the master returns, he just gives back to him what was there. He didn't lose it. He gives it completely back, 100%. But we have been left with the question, why did he do that? Why was he unwilling to take a risk? Uh, for us to live with greater vulnerable courage, I think that 
one of the things that's helpful for us is to acknowledge what is the barrier for me to step into risk? What is the thing that's holding me about? What is the narrative? What is the thing that's impeding for me to live with greater courage in taking risk? For instance, I performed a wedding in 2012. My neighbor was getting married, and when you're a young person who's a pastor and you're not super weird, you get asked to do a lot of weddings because people are like, I gotta get married. Mark seems somewhat normal. I'll get him to do it. So my neighbor asked me to do the wedding. I didn't know his people at all, but I love doing it because I love weddings. Part of the things that I love weddings is I love getting to meet people's community. And at the reception, I was sat between two twin brothers who were super quirky. If you know me, you know that I love quirky people. I love the weirdos. Normal, boring people are the worst, especially at wedding receptions. Give me the weirdos. And they were super weird. They owned a company that cleaned up bird poop. Bird poop and bat poop, they told me. And so if there was like a big big bird problem, they'd come and clean it occasionally. It's a great business, I guess. But after a while, we, we turned and started talking about other things. They began to talk to me about how they thought the dollar was so limited. And the concept of currency is a farce. One day, there will be a type of currency that's not set upon a, per, a certain nation. And they started talking to me about there's this one currency that's coming out right now that they are taking all their money and throwing it into. And they sounded like the most ignorant people I've ever heard. And that, but the reception went on, and after the certain crab cakes and Chardonnay was consumed, what they said was actually starting to make sense to me. Like, so this currency that you're talking about is not bound by a certain gold measure or a nation. It's just out there. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I went home and told my wife that we should throw $1,000 at this thing called Bitcoin. And... <laughs> And if you've ever, like, kind of understood someone else explain it, and you try to explain it to someone else, like, it made no sense. But Jen and I were like, let's just do it, $1,000. But the problem for me, there is a barrier for taking the risk, and it was, where do you buy this thing? Like, where do you get it? And this is in 2012. This is before all the apps and all that stuff. And so we had every intention on doing it, but then we couldn't figure out where to actually buy Bitcoin, and so we decided not. And we probably got distracted because we got a Wii that year, and I played Wii tennis a lot. <laughs> so any guess what that barrier of entry cost me? What $1,000 of Bitcoin in 2012 uh, would, would have actually been? $9,734,552. I don't think about it often. <laughs> I don't think about it often. It's not something I factor or look up when wonder what I'm doing in my life. Um, I promise I would still pastor. I promise I would be the same guy, the same guy. But that barrier of entry into taking a risk, it was costly. It was super costly. And so it's important for us and other things, more important things in our life, to name the barriers uh, that hold us back from taking risk. Because each of us have a barrier from risk-taking, especially in the spiritual life. Each of us have something that holds us back. For some people, it's this internal narrative that you were given along the way, that you're not good enough, that God uses better versions of people than you to make a difference in this world. A, friend, a roommate of mine in college 
Everyone knew him to be a genius, but he never studied. He never went to class. And one day he confessed the reason why is because what if I actually tried my hardest and I didn't succeed? And so I'd rather be an apathetic genius than be called out and seen as a fraud. For other people, the barrier of taking a risk was that you were taught to distrust your dreams, your desires. Somewhere along the way, and even in a, in, a, in a church setting, a Christian setting, you were taught that your heart was wicked and you should never trust the dreams that are inside of you. You should never take a risk and so it holds you back. What was the barrier for this servant with that one bag of gold? What held him back from taking a risk? Well, Jesus said uh, in this story, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. What was the barrier? Fear. Fear. Fear moved this man on that grid from being a vulnerable agency to, a, a, to, to being someone who's guarded, to someone who's guarded with inaction. Fear is so powerful. It's that thing that holds us back from living with courage. It's whatever that thing is that causes you to be struck with fear. But fear has this self-perpetuating problem. When people are living by fear, oftentimes the thing that they're afraid of ends up happening. It's like, you know, the overly cautious driver who doesn't want to get into an accident. And so they are like, way overcorrecting when they're driving and they're often slamming on their brakes and oftentimes they're the ones that get into the accident. Or it's someone who's afraid of being rejected and afraid of being alone and uh, so they have a stiff arm from people who when they get too close and then in the end they find themselves oftentimes alone. Or in this story, the servant, what was, he, what was he afraid of? He was afraid of having that one bag taken from him and having nothing to show for it. And in the end, what happens the master took it from him and gave it to the overachiever, the annoying overachiever. And his greatest fear was, uh, was experienced. So what, does, what is the one lesson this parable might be teaching? If parables are meant to teach us a lesson, what is this one lesson? I believe it's that the kingdom of God belongs to the gamblers. For those who are willing to take a risk, for those who know what it's like to live with courage, and for all the Enneagram sixes out there, and you say this disclaimer, yes, there's wisdom and discernment in knowing what risks to take. We're not all called to be reckless. Yes, yes, yes. But I truly believe that if we are following Jesus, it will require risks. Following Jesus, it means that we can't bury the things that we've been entrusted because if we bury them, this parable is teaching us, you will always lose it. It's already lost. Or you can find Eugene Peterson's rewriting of this passage in the message. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of that play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out in utter darkness. Harsh now, if you're not into Jesus' version of it or Eugene Peterson's rewriting of the past message, how about Lin-Manuel Miranda's? So in Lin-Manuel Miranda's hit musical, Hamilton, have you guys heard of Hamilton? Okay, just kidding. The story is about many things, but 
what I think the story is truly about is about this parable. It's actually a juxtaposition of two different characters, and they're the main characters in this story. And who are they? Hamilton and Burr. That's right. And how would you describe Hamilton as a character? What's that? Risk taker? How is he a risk taker? He's not throwing away his shot. That's right, Brendan. Thank you, Brendan. He's like this person who has no reason to believe that he can do anything, and yet he has this huge desire to not waste his shot, to live it out. And you have that, instead, you have the other person, Burr, who uh, has this longing to be more like him, but he's not living it out. You have Burr, who wants in, he wants to be in the room where it happens, but he can't live with that kind of courage. All right, you can turn off this music. You can turn it off. You have Burr who wants in. He wants to live like a gambler, but instead, what is his advice? Wait for it. Talk less. Smile more. And we find that Burr, he wants to be there. He wants to be in the room where it happens. He wants to be with someone with courage. But his story ends up, even though he's the one that's alive, spoiler alert, um, he ends up feeling like the one bag that he was given is taken from him and is given to the one who risked the most. And the chapter comes to the end with a lot of regret. This parable is trying to wake us up. Just like that musical is trying to wake us up. That we weren't, that we don't live in people to waste our shots. To give, have everything that we know that's given to us to live it out with vulnerable power. We see that even though Hamilton, he's this unlikely character, because he was willing to take risks, because he lived with greater courage, he began to have this life that felt in many ways blessed. He wasn't content riding a desk. He wanted to be on the field where there was action. And even though he had no reason to believe that he would be someone who would change the world, he was. Even though, you know, like for Burr, his question is how does a how does a pastor, I'll say pastor because it sounds like a whole lot like the other word, pastor, how does a pastor, an orphan, it's this person, because pastor sounds a whole lot. Oftentimes when I introduce myself to people, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, you're a pastor? They say the other word, and I'm like, no, I'm a pastor. Then they feel super bad because they just called a pastor a pastor. Anyways, you guys get it. <laughs> but he had no reason to believe as a foreigner, an outsider, as someone who had, he was on the wrong side of the ledger, that God could actually use him to change the world. But he does. And that for me is an example. We could live like Hamilton or we could live like Burr. And it seems like with Burr, this sense of regret of seeing someone who life is just opening up to, he just experiences that. It reminds me of the very end of this parable. This parable is trying to wake us up to not waste our life, don't bury it, to live it out with greater courage and vulnerability. At Scott's Say Yes show, I was reminded of uh, Bronnie Ware. Bronnie Ware was a palliative nurse, a care nurse. That means that she helped people in their last weeks of, of their life to die with dignity and courage. And as she helped hundreds of people go through that transition, she saw five themes that keep coming up with people who are dying. And those themes were, number five, I wish I had let myself be happier People on their deathbed would speak of this. I wish I let myself be happier. The fourth most common regret. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. 
like seeing the importance of friendship and relationship in the dying days. The third most common regret, regret. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings, to be known. The second, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. So much of our life is with our occupation, our vocation. But what is the most common regret? What is the one that most likely many of us will have upon our deathbed? I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I hear the servant weeping and gnashing teeth on the outside saying, why did I waste it? Why did I bury it? Why didn't I live with courage to be my true self, the self that God created me, including the dreams and the desires and the longings that I have that is so easy to hide because no one else knows them. We find so often at the end of our life going, I played it too safe. I wish I would have lived with greater power and agency in this, in this world. It's interesting. On the other side of this, I've had the privilege of being with many people in their last moments. One of my questions I ask people as they are about to die is I ask them, what do you hope to hear on the other side of this life from Jesus? What are the words you most long to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. It's interesting. That actually comes from this parable. <laughs> it's the parable. And what provokes that response? It's when we have lived out a life of courage. This is, in, is trying to teach us the importance of living with vulnerable strength. It's the importance of having Jesus-centered risk-taking in our life. And I just wonder... When God looks over this community, when God, the one who knows you and sees you, I wonder what God sees in you. The dreams that are buried deep beneath the surface that haven't seen the light of day, the gifts, the callings, the abilities that God has given each of you. And I wonder how in taking risks and living them out, I wonder how much God longs to invite you into the master's happiness the happiness that is reserved for those who are willing with all courage and faith to take risks, to pour themselves out for others, to live with great vulnerability and with great power. So friends, there are two practices that we're going to do as we are a practice-based church. We have uh, the illustration that um, I did. Just kidding, this is Scott's. Um, so we're doing a Visio Divina. That means throughout our week we're going to have just like we do with Lectio Divina, with uh, having prayer guide us, that we're going to do this with Visio Divina, that we're going to look at these images, these illustrations, in a posture of prayer. So for us, our encouragement is to spend some moments in your day holding this image in a posture of prayer. And for me, when I looked at this uh, illustration, I thought of this quote right here from John Augustus Shedd. A ship is... And the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. And so it is with your life. Your life is safest when you hide out, when you guard yourself and stay at home. But that's not what Christ has for you. That's not the life that Christ wants for you, the life to the full. The second practice I would like to encourage you all with is this is vulnerable. It's actually to sit with a friend and talk through these three questions. To talk through these three questions, what is a God-given gift that you have hidden? 
to discern that? What is something within you, whether a desire, a dream, or a gift? Second question is, where is courage required in your life? If, if following Jesus is a life of courage, where is courage being required of you? And then number three, can you name the barrier in greater risk-taking? Maybe that's a fear. Maybe that's a narrative that's in your heart and your mind. Maybe something else. But what is a barrier for you? So friends, life is way too short to play it safe. And the invitation of Christ is to follow him with risky vulnerability and power. And if you ever find yourself in Ireland and someone asks you to sing out a song from your home, gather all your courage, take a breath, and belt it out, all right? Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots. Ruin your black tie affair. The last one to know, Kelsey, I need eye contact. The last one I show you were the last one you thought you'd see there. What I saw in his eyes, surprising fear in his eyes. When I took his glass of champagne, uh-oh. <laughs> I toasted you, said, honey, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain, because I got friends in. Places where the whiskey down. Welcome all our guests. For the first time guests, we do this every Sunday. You okay? See, this is what could have happened in that pub. I've gone social gray. Let's take us down, down to the oasis. Well, I've got friends in low places. That's ridiculous. Thank you very much. Oh, geez. Let us pray. <laughs> now, it's, that took a little risk, too. But the reality is, is that our life opens up when we're willing to risk. Man, come on up, please. Please come on up. Um, so I'm just, I do encourage us to walk through these questions. Consider the risks that we have in our heart, the dreams that we have for us. And uh, may, we be, may, may we be as courageous to take risks in our own life. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us these stories and these parables to teach us the way, to show us the way to go. And I pray, God, that we would be filled by your Holy Spirit, a spirit that gives us the courage to step into vulnerability and a spirit that uh, fans the flame of gifts and dreams. And I pray that you would do that for us as a church, that you would fan the flame in our soul and our hearts that we be people who are willing to follow you through the narrow gate of risks. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.